Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 through 20. This can be found on page 279 in uh, your pew Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 through 20. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we do pray that you would help us this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed. Help us to be those who hear it. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand. Give us hearts that are ready to receive it. And Lord, we ask that this morning, by your word and by your spirit, that you would continue the work that you have begun in us changing us evermore into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 4 comes to the edge of the promised land before the people go in. But they've been through a lot. And now we have some of these final... um, Instructions from Moses, and starting in verse 9 of chapter 4, it goes like this. He says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are possessing, you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance, as you now are. Our New Testament lesson comes from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. And here we have uh, some of the teachings of Jesus. Speaking specifically uh, first to the, the Pharisees. He says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, this morning is an interesting time for us um, as it relates to the current sermon series we are in. We have been preaching through the book of Acts since last January, the beginning of last January. And as of today, we will make it halfway through the book. Yeah, we're getting that close. Anyway, <laughs> but we'll, we'll reach the halfway point. There are 28 chapters. We're going to end chapter 14 today. And, of course, we've taken some time off doing different series, mini-series kind of in the middle of this one, and we will continue to do so before we get to the end of Acts. But where we are right now is sort of this halfway point. And so we've seen a lot of what has been the setup. As Jesus says to his disciples, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, but not yet. Just don't do that until you receive power from the Holy Spirit. So go to Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you're going to go do these things. And so what we see them doing is they go into Jerusalem and they wait and the Holy Spirit comes on them and then they go out and they've been doing these things and they've been witnessing to who Jesus is. And we've been looking uh, the last year at what that looks like for us as well, both to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to do the things that God is calling us to do, and to be those who are still witnessing to who Jesus is and what that means in our lives and what that means uh, in the life of this church and this community and around the world. So that's kind of what's been going on. In the last couple weeks, we've been seeing Paul and Barnabas specifically as uh, those who are doing these sorts of things, going out and sharing about Jesus. And they have encountered some strange responses. Some places, people were just running them off. Other places, <laughs> the one we saw last week, 
uh, people wanted to worship them as gods. And they said, no, <laughs> that is not okay. And they said, okay, how about we just stone you with rocks? And they're like, also not okay. And so they left. Um, today is an even stranger response from Paul and Barnabas because uh, it seems like if you had gone to a place and you said, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And they say, we don't want any of that. In fact, we're going to throw rocks at you. And then you like, okay, fine, I'm out of here. And you leave. Is that a place you want to go back to anytime soon? No. <laughs> it is not a place you want to go back to anytime soon. Okay, let's take a look at this. This is Acts chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 21. Uh, maybe we should... Let's back up to verse 19 so you have a little bit of the context. So some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. So that's where they are now. Just left there. Now they're there. Verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Those names ought to sound familiar to you. These are the same names that Paul brings up when he writes to Timothy 20 years later and says, you know the kinds of things that happened to me in those cities. It wasn't good. And here they are, um, having just gone from there, going on to Derby, making more disciples, and then going right back to the places where things had not gone well. And here's going to be the point through this whole passage. Paul and Barnabas understand it's not about Paul and Barnabas. If it's about them, they're not going to do the things they end up doing. Pretty much ever. They understand this is all about Jesus, and it's about serving him and serving his people. And so the things that they do are going to reflect that. That's what we're going to see here. So they go right back to the places that we would be not inclined to go. <laughs> Return to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with, with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. I hope you're keeping all these places straight in your heads. Good luck. Uh, from Italia, if you do have a map in the back of your Bible, it is fun to track that all so you see where they are. But for this morning, we're skipping it. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. All right, one quick note on geography here is there are two Antiochs. And so the first one they go to is where they have a bad reception. The second one they go to is actually uh, the one where they started this mission to begin with. And that happened at the beginning of uh, chapter 13. We'll look at that in a second. But first I want to go up, I want to take us back to uh, what is going on in the places where they're going. They go back to these places not because they were expecting a warm welcome from the city. But they go back to encourage the disciples that were there. They had been there before. They had been preaching about Jesus. And everywhere they went, some people received this message. Some people said, yes, we are going to trust in this Jesus. And so now they go back to strengthen them and to encourage them. Because what do you think is happening in a community like this? 
where uh, we see in the book of Hebrews, you have Jewish people who become Christians, who begin to trust in Jesus as the Messiah. And then, of course, they face incredible pressure from all their Jewish friends and family and neighbors to, why don't you just go back? Just go back to just being Jewish without the Jesus part. We were just fine before that. But now you start bringing this Jesus into it, and it's just messing everything up. (laughs) And so they face all this social pressure to just go back. And the whole book of Hebrews is saying to Jewish people who are under this pressure, don't go back. (laughs) Think about how much greater Jesus is than all these other things and how everything else has been pointing to Jesus from the very beginning. Why would you give up the one thing everything is about? Don't do it. So there's that. And yet still, they've got that pressure. The same thing in these uh, Gentile communities where you have um, whole communities, and we're going to see this later on in Acts as we get into Ephesus, where you have communities that are idol worship, worshiping these Greek gods and goddesses is sort of built into the fabric of the community. And so when people become Christians and they start saying no to the idol worship, what it also means is no to a lot of just how things are done in the community. And so then you get a lot of the same sort of pressure, right? Of, why don't you just give that up? You know, it was fun. Those people came, they spoke, and it was all exciting, and everybody said, yay, except some of us who threw rocks at them, whatever. And, um, but they're gone now, and you can just go back to normal. Just give up the Jesus. (laughs) So this is the kind of pressure they would be facing, and Paul and Barnabas go back to encourage them to say, kind of like the letters the Hebrew, letter of Hebrews says, don't give up Jesus. Stay true to the faith. Remember who this Jesus is and what it is we've been telling you. And then they actually say this. It says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Now that's one of those where you, you read that and you want to do one of a couple things. One, you might want to say, uh, I'm sure he didn't mean that. We'll just skip on. <laughs> or, you're like, this is probably a bad translation. So I looked it up. In the Greek, instead of saying, we must go through many hardships, another way to translate that is, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That doesn't really let us off the hook at all, does it? It doesn't. And yet, when you go throughout Scripture, that is the message. That is the message we see over and over. And you can look at some of the different illustrations that are given about God working on us to make us into the people that he created us to be. And some of the uh, images that are used are of, um, of clay being formed and shaped by a potter. And all that scraping and squishing and all that. And then going into the fire or even looking at um, metal that is being purified by a fire. Do these sound like pleasant experiences? No, they don't. Or when Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Does that sound pleasant? No. But this is constantly the message, is we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, There's a line an Andrew Peterson song called Always Good. The whole album is good. But anyway, uh, where he says, somehow this sorrow is shaping my heart 
like it should. And that's the idea, is that there are hardships that will shape us in ways that pleasure doesn't. And we don't like that. Unless I'm alone in that. (laughs) We don't like that. Instead, when we start facing hardships, we start thinking, this isn't what I signed up for. I thought that the idea was you face hardships, you face suffering, unless you become a Christian, and then God just makes everything better, and it's just always good all the time, and everything is pleasant and wonderful. And that's not what we experience. And in fact, there have been a lot of people who at that moment give up their faith completely because they say that's not what I thought the deal was. And so they just walk away. And I think that's probably the situation that uh, these churches in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra were in. And so Paul and Barnabas know this is the case, and they go back to them and they say, don't walk away at this point. What you're experiencing is not abnormal. What you're experiencing is not proof the whole thing is wrong. What you're experiencing is a part of life and how it works. This is how things go. Uh, There's a book by... um, Jamin Goggin and Kyle Strobel called The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb. I have quoted from it a few times. Uh, it's, it's very good. But at the end of that book, they talk about uh, suffering in particular. See, the lie that we have from the evil one is when you enter in something like that, you have suffering as a Christian, the evil one will say, what? Drop that. I will make sure that you have pleasure and comfort all the time. You don't have to worry with suffering anymore. But what happens there? Is, is it true? It's not true. And even though there may be a season of pleasure, we know how that goes and we know how that ends. And we know that everyone, everyone faces suffering and hardship. And so at the end of this book, uh, The Way of the Dragon and the Way of the Lamb, it says... Uh, all people suffer. All people suffer. There is no way out of that, no matter how hard we try to overcome or medicate or avoid our suffering. But only Christians can suffer with Christ. There's the difference. It says when we are confronted with suffering, we can choose to receive it in the spirit or in the flesh. And the question is, when we receive it, is it something that makes us turn away from God or is it something that makes us cling to God? Is it something where we say, your grace is sufficient for me. I understand that your power is made perfect in weakness. And I understand that nothing would be happening like this unless you could somehow, somehow, I don't know how, but somehow use it redemptively, whether in my life or in others. Is that how we receive it? Or do we just say, there's nothing good here, make it go away? Which, that's an honest starting point, by the way, that's fine. As long as we don't end there. So they go to these churches and they encourage them. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Then they appoint elders. And pray for them. And what is the job of the elders going to be? To continue doing exactly what Paul and Barnabas are doing. To continue to encourage the people and to continue to strengthen them in their faith. And then after going through this, uh, they come back around 
and they end up right back where they started. And ending up back where they started, let me take you back to chapter 13. It says, while they, starting verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, this is in Antioch, the church there, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they have fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And everything else since then has been because they had been sent by this church. And everything they did was connected to the ministry of this church. And so now, having gone through all these other places and had all these experiences, they come back to this church and they report. Because again, it's not about Paul and Barnabas. It is about what God is doing in and through Paul and Barnabas. And so they come back, they gather the church together, and they report all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They stayed there a long time with the disciples. Reporting on what God had done was a way that the whole church could rejoice in who God is and what he's doing. It was a way that the whole church, who had heard from the Holy Spirit, send these people out, now see that this is what the Holy Spirit was doing, sending people out. And when they come back, do they come back whining and saying, man, that was hard, and people tried to kill us? Not necessarily. They're coming back, and they're reporting what God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. This is where their focus was, was that there were Gentiles even, not just Jewish people, but now even Gentiles who are able to come to faith through Jesus. We read that part earlier in uh, John 10 where Jesus said, I am the gate. It's actually the same word here as the door. It's the word for door. Jesus says, I am the door. And here it says, God has opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. That they are coming to faith through Jesus the same as Jewish people are coming to faith through Jesus And it is wonderful. So now, for us, we have some some pretty straightforward application from this, I think. One is we must go through many hardships. And just accepting that up front, that that is the way of life because of the world that is broken by sin. We all face hardships. But two, we don't face them alone. That God is working in and through us. That he is working even through those hardships to form us into the people he created us to be. So there's that. But there's also this uh, sense that we don't do it alone because we are together and we need to continually remind each other of these things. To continue to strengthen and encourage each other. To continue to pray for and with each other. And then, as we saw at the end there, to continue to share the good things that God is doing with the church. Because that is a way of strengthening each other. To see what it is that God is doing in your life and the lives of those around you. So a lot of times we gather together and we say, you know, we've got problems and issues and we want to pray about those things. That is good. But let's not forget on the other side of that to remember to say, what it is that we have seen God already doing and the ways that we have seen him working and praise him together, not only in song, but also in prayer. So, for this week, I don't know what you have coming up, 
in a lot of ways, you probably have no idea what's coming up. <laughs> but God knows. Know that he's going before you, and when you experience whatever you experience this week, know that he is with you, that he does care for you. Be encouraged. Stay strong in your faith. Remain true to the faith in all of it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.